Welcome to the October 6th, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. In today's podcast, we'll review results of the largest retrospective study to date of allogeneic transplantation in adult patients with inborn errors of immunity. We'll then discuss intriguing new research demonstrating that erythroblastic islands in the bone marrow foster granulopoiesis alongside terminal erythropoiesis, which lays a foundation for better understanding how blood cell production is regulated within these niches. Let's start with the research article entitled Hematopoietic Stem Cell Transplantation for Adolescents and Adults with Inborn Errors of Immunity, an EBMT-IEWP study by Michael Albert of the Ludwig Maximilians University in Munich, Germany, and colleagues. By way of background, inborn errors of immunity, or IEI, consist of a constellation of disorders that result in immune system dysfunction. The classic example is Severe Combined Immunodeficiency, or SCID, which typically presents with life-threatening infections in infants. Excellent outcomes can be achieved with the use of allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation in children with SCID and in many of the other IEIs that present early in life. Therefore, these young patients are increasingly referred for transplant. Deciding whether or not to refer an adolescent or adult with IEI for transplantation has been more challenging. Adolescents and adults with IEIs often lack a definitive diagnosis. Therefore, it can be more difficult to predict the disease course and assess the risk-benefit ratio of transplantation. These patients tend to accumulate complications that increase risk, such as lung disease and liver dysfunction. To date, retrospective and prospective studies have reported on transplant outcomes in fewer than 150 adults with IEIs. The paucity of published transplant outcome data and the perceived high risk of transplant-related mortality have delayed the adoption of transplant for IEI patients with significant organ damage later in life. However, excellent outcomes have been reported for adolescents and young adults with limited IEI-related morbidities. Also, good survival probabilities have been reported even in older adults with advanced IEIs, thanks in part to the use of reduced toxicity conditioning regimens in specialized centers. Consequently, leading European and American transplant societies have added adults with IEI to the list of indications for transplant. That leads us to the present study, conducted on behalf of the Inborn Errors Working Party of the European Society for Blood and Marrow Transplantation and European Society for Immunodeficiencies. Their retrospective study details transplant outcomes for 329 patients from 51 centers, making it by far the largest report of its kind to date. The study included patients who were at least 15 years of age at the time of an IEI diagnosis. All diagnoses were confirmed clinically or genetically. Patients ranged in age from 15 to nearly 63 years, with a median age at transplant of 18.4 years. Two-thirds of the patients were male. In terms of IEI subgroups, 50% of patients had combined immunodeficiencies, 39% had phagocyte disorders, and 12% had predominantly antibody deficiencies. The most common IEI-related complications prior to transplant were infection, seen in 52% of the cohort, followed by bronchiectasis in 27%, and colitis or protracted diarrhea also in 27%. One-third of patients were on systemic immunomodulatory therapies right before transplantation. About 36% of patients had one IEI-related complication at the time of transplant. 
31% had two or more complications, and the remainder had none. The median time to neutrophil engraftment was 18 days, and 87% achieved neutrophil engraftment within 28 days. Median time to platelet recovery was also 18 days, with 72% achieving engraftment within 28 days. 28 patients, or 8%, had graft failure. Graft failure was not influenced by IEI subgroup, donor, stem cell source, or conditioning intensity. The primary endpoints of the study were overall survival and event-free survival. The estimated overall survival was 78% and 75% at one year and five years post-transplant, respectively. In univariate analysis, overall survival was significantly influenced by IEI subgroup, with the highest overall survival in the phagocyte disorders group, 93% at one year and 78% at five years. Specific IEI-related complications that adversely affected overall survival were bronchiectasis, liver disease, and prior splenectomy. Overall survival was significantly lower for patients with at least two complications at the time of transplant. Overall survival was also inferior among patients with higher scores on the hematopoietic cell transplant comorbidity index. By contrast, age and donor type had no influence on overall survival. Event-free survival was 65% and 62% at one year and five years after transplant, respectively. Similar to overall survival, event-free survival was also influenced by IEI subgroup, with the phagocyte disorders group again having the highest one- and five-year rates at 72% and 69%, respectively. Bronchiectasis, liver disease, and prior splenectomy also adversely affected event-free survival, as did the number of IEI-related risk factors present at transplant. However, hematopoietic cell transplant comorbidity index scores did not significantly impact event-free survival, nor did age or donor type. Graft-versus-host disease, or GVHD, occurred in a minority of patients. Grade 2 to 4 acute GVHD was reported in 22% of patients, and only 8% of patients experienced grade 3 or 4 acute GVHD. The cumulative incidence of extensive chronic GVHD was 7%. IEI subgroup had no influence on rates of acute or chronic GVHD. In their accompanying commentary, Sridhar Rao of the Versity Blood Research Institute and Larissa Brogley of the Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, note that hematologists, immunologists, and transplant physicians have had insufficient data to make critical decisions on when and if an adult with IEI should be referred for transplantation. Many assumed adult IEI patients would have high rates of GVHD and graft failure, thus representing a contraindication to transplant. By contrast, these data provide evidence of excellent transplant outcomes in these patients, particularly if done before IEI-related end-organ damage occurs. Therefore, clinicians should consider early referral to transplant as a potentially curative option in adults recently diagnosed with IEI. However, Rao and Brogley cite the need for a prospective clinical trial to definitively address this issue. Because IEIs are a heterogeneous group of disorders, each subtype has to be considered independently in terms of long-term outcomes and complications. And in this retrospective study, the indication for transplant referral was not available. Furthermore, selection bias may have skewed the findings. Despite these limitations, the present study could change the paradigm for how adults with IEI are treated.
Now let's look at the second research article, entitled Erythroblastic Islands Foster Granulopoiesis in Parallel to Terminal Erythropoiesis, by Laurel Romano of Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center in Cincinnati, Ohio, Katie Sayu of the Feinstein Institutes for Medical Research in Manhasset, New York, and colleagues. Erythroblastic islands, or EBIs, are composed of a central macrophage surrounded by maturing erythroblasts. This is the erythroid precursor niche. Terminal erythroid differentiation occurs within EBIs, from the late colony-forming unit erythroid, or CFUE, to the reticulocyte stage. Many disorders affecting red blood cell production stem from defects in these final stages of erythropoiesis. One example is anemia of inflammation, which occurs in patients with immune activation due to infectious, autoimmune, or malignant diseases. There are few therapeutic options for patients with anemia of inflammation, with the exception of transfusions or treatments aimed at resolving the underlying disease. As such, it would help to better characterize the function of EBIs and better understand interactions within the erythropoietic niche, which ultimately might give clues that point toward new therapeutic approaches. The precise composition and function of these islands have been unclear. The composition of EBIs has been very challenging to study, due in part to technological challenges, including macrophage fragmentation that can occur during manipulation, and tight adherence to other cells, making it difficult to identify and purify macrophages by cell surface antigen expression. Several markers for EBI macrophages have been reported, including CD11B. In their report, Romana and colleagues addressed the aforementioned research challenges through the use of density centrifugation to enrich for cell clusters, identification of EBIs through multispectral imaging flow cytometry, and morphological assessment using imaging. They further characterized EBI macrophages using confocal microscopy, RNA sequencing, and site sequencing, which stands for cellular indexing of transcriptomes and epitopes. Let's break down the results. The researchers were able to demonstrate that in bone marrow EBIs, the CD11B positive cells in contact with the central macrophage are actually maturing granulocytes. About 25% of the EBIs had a central macrophage surrounded exclusively by erythroid lineage cells expressing CD71, the transferrin receptor. The remaining 75% of the EBIs contained both CD71-positive erythroid cells as well as CD11B-positive cells closely attached to the central macrophage. These were morphologically observed to be granulocyte precursors, primarily myelocytes and metamyelocytes. This contrasts with other recent work on EBIs in which CD11B-positive cells studied using imaging flow cytometry were initially described as peripherally associated bystanders. A follow-up report from the same group detailed the identification of EBI macrophage membrane remnants on the surface of CD11B-positive cells. Such membrane remnants on CD11B-positive cells were also observed in the present study. The finding suggests an intimate association between the cell types and means that the results of these studies are compatible, according to the investigators. In single-cell RNA sequencing of EBI component cells, maturing erythroblasts, granulocytes, and macrophages were identified as the three predominant cell types. Further work demonstrated the plasticity of the EBI macrophages and their ability to act as a fulcrum in the balance between erythropoiesis and granulopoiesis. 
In the steady state, the ratio of CD71 positive erythroid cells to CD11B positive granulocyte precursors was about 1.4 to 1. However, the scales tipped toward erythropoiesis in a mouse model of congenital neutropenia. Granulopoiesis was inhibited, and in turn, the relative proportion of erythroid cells was increased. Conversely, treating mice with granulocyte colony stimulating factor stimulated granulopoiesis while reducing erythropoiesis. In a mouse model of inflammation, investigators likewise observed a significant decrease in the CD71-positive to CD11B-positive ratio, which led to anemia and leukocytosis. Treatment of mice with erythropoietin not only increased the erythroid to myeloid cell ratio, but also increased the absolute number of EBIs by approximately fourfold. In her accompanying commentary, Dina Iskander of the Imperial College London in the United Kingdom notes that the investigators have provided evidence for a previously unknown homeostatic mechanism in normal murine bone marrow. The work suggests that islands serve as niches for both terminal erythropoiesis and granulopoiesis. Thus, they are not just erythroblastic and might be better termed erythromyeloblastic islands, or EMBIs. These findings may help answer critical questions regarding normal and disordered erythropoiesis, particularly with regard to anemia of inflammation. Iskander likewise states that further work is needed to unpack the role of EMBIs, not only in anemia of chronic diseases, but also in myeloproliferative disorders characterized by unchecked stimulation of granulopoiesis. As pathological expansion of one of the lineages within this niche may suppress the other, Iskander says, interactions within EMBI could be a useful therapeutic target for various hematologic neoplasms. However, an important next step will be to determine whether the findings in this murine model are recapitulated in normal and pathologic human hematopoiesis. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.